Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Glad you guys are here. You guys can have a seat. Didn't the praise job brand do a great job this morning, the praise band? Yeah, that was really great, wasn't it? It was really good. Hey, I'm so glad you guys are here today. I'm so glad that you guys are joining us, those that are joining us from home. I'm going to do everything I can to uh, get through this message. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to do something I usually don't do. Um, I'm going to ask everyone to just turn around and look at my view today from the message. Everybody look. That's what I have to look at right there. We got the poop. We got, yeah, we got the, uh, we got the poo-poo emoji, and I don't even know what Sam is. What is she? Oh, Marge Simpson. I'm not a pagan sinner. I don't watch The Simpsons. So I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Everybody calm down. Anyway, so and for those that are watching from home, you should have been here. It is really cool. It's a good little thing. But anyway, um, listen, how many people have gotten about four hours sleep a night because the doggone Braves are driving everybody crazy? Yeah. How many, people, how many people are wanting them to win more so they can get sleep tonight instead of the championship? That's me. I'm like, please, because I can't as a, as a fan. I've been a lifelong fan of the Braves, by the way. People are like, oh, you're coming out here from West Tennessee. I'm, I'm not a bandwagon, dude. I, I used to cheer for Bob Horner and Dale Murphy, okay? So I'm back in the day, all right, back in the day. So anyway, I am glad you guys are here uh, today. I'm so thankful you guys are here today. And uh, I do want to encourage you, you're going to see some, some students and some, and some children and maybe even an adult or two with some costumes home today. And they are, they are here to be goofy, but they're also promoting our trunk or treat tonight. So if, if uh, we, listen, we rarely do anything on Sunday nights. We rarely do. But tonight, um, my arm was twisted by the children's pastor, uh, Aaron, uh, and Miranda helped too. Uh, so we're doing a trunk or treat tonight. We're going to have inflatables out here. I don't know if I should even say this because it's, it may cause a, and don't tell your friends this because everybody may come, but listen, uh, we don't know if we can do it, but they're going to have free funnel cakes and free fried Oreos. Me too. I'm getting heartburned just thinking about it as well. So anyway. Listen, I'm so glad you guys are here today. If you got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 4. That's when we're going to be camped out in Romans chapter 4 today. Romans chapter 4 is where we're going to be camped out. Now, we've been going through the book of Romans, and we're going to go through the whole book of Romans. And we may get there by May of next year, and we may not. I have no idea. That's my goal. My goal is is to go through the whole book of, of Romans by the end of May. And so we'll see what happens. But... As you're turning, I do want to show you, uh, I have a theme verse, the, 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 um, yeah, the sermon series title is called 100% Unashamed. And here's the theme verse that I want you to read this. And you may say, well, why in the world did you call it 100% Unashamed? And here's the reason why. I called it 100% Unashamed because in today's society, a lot of us probably feel as if we are being pressured to apologize for what the Word of God says. And I do not apologize for that. As a matter of fact, I am 100% unashamed of what the Bible says. And so here's what it says. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Now focus in on believes, because we're going to talk about that today. The Jew first, and then also the Gentile. And then verse 17 says this. It says, all right, 
This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by, and then it says faith. And I want you to understand, the end of today's message, we're going to fully define faith. Because in the text we look at today, they fully define it. As the scripture says, it is through the faith that a righteous person has life. And so we've looked at the background here. I want to recap it just briefly. The background of, of the text is, is that there were Jewish people and they were excommunicated. They were sent away from Rome. They were sent out. The emperor sent them away. And so the church, the church that had been established was part Jewish, part Gentile. And so when the Jewish people left, the Gentiles are the ones that took over the church. And they did this probably between five and seven years, they, they, around that time. And then the Jewish people were allowed to come back. And so when the Jewish people came back, you can imagine that the Gentiles had made a lot of changes to the church. And so there was a lot of arguing going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so Paul wrote Romans to explain the full, the full measure of the gospel and to fully clarify for both the Jew and the Gentile exactly what the gospel was. We've looked at God's righteousness. Uh, we've looked at God's wrath. And what is God's wrath? God's wrath is defined as he has settled and resolved that evil will not stand. That is God's wrath. It is his settled resolve that evil will not stand. We've looked at God in natural revelation of how God has revealed himself to everyone and everyone is without excuse. We've looked at that. We've looked at God doesn't show favoritism. We've looked at how knowledge without application is useless. And if you didn't miss any of these messages, you can go back online. You can go on our podcast. You can go on our website. And you can go on Facebook and you can see any of these messages and YouTube. Any of these messages you would like to see. Today, though, we want to talk about something a little different. So Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 25 is where we're going to end up. Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 25. And here's what it says. And I'm going to go through this a little bit with you and expound on a few things. And then we're going to dig deep. Now, this is the blessing. This is, uh, this, now, is this blessing only for Jews or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? So... What blessing is he talking about? He's talking about the quote from before, starting in verse 7. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. And so it says, now what blessing? Is this only for the Jews or also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. So you need to know a time frame here. So this is what he's going to go into. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? And then, and listen, by the way, the Jewish people are going to know the history. And so when he asks this question, he knows that they already know the answer. And here's the answer. Clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. He accepted him before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith. And that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father for those who have put faith, who, who have faith but have not been circumcised. That sentence alone for the Jewish people would have blown them away. Are you with me? He's saying this. He said, I want you to understand something. This is not just for you guys. Abraham was the father of all both the circumcised and the uncircumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised and 
He puts a caveat on it. But only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he's saying this. He's saying, I want you to get something. He is the father of those that are uncircumcised but have that same faith. And he is the father of the circumcised as well. And then Paul says something that's pretty radical. He says, but I want you to understand something. He's only your spiritual father because every, all the Jewish people claim Abraham as a spiritual father. He's only your spiritual father if, if, if and only if you have the same faith that he had before circumcision. And so what he's saying is, is that circumcision is a sign. It says, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was, was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship. We're going to dig deep into that in a second. With God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, when faith is not necessary, then faith is not necessary. And the promise is pointless for the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. I told you guys a couple of weeks ago that the law is a diagnostic. It's not a solution. The law is a diagnostic. The law is like an x-ray. You can have the best x-ray in the world if you have a broken bone. And they can tell you, listen, you have a broken bone. But you're not, when you go to the doctor to get an x-ray, you're not getting the x-ray to see what is wrong so that nothing can happen. You're going so that you can see what the problem is. But only finding the problem is not the solution. You want the cast. You want your bone to be reset. You may need surgery. The law is a diagnostic. So basically he's saying, listen, I want you to get something. You are being, you are absolutely understanding for the law always brings punishment for those that try to obey it because it is a diagnostic. It's not the solution. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live in according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. And we're going to camp on that in a second as well. Even when there's no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God has said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was uh, Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous. And here's the caveat. If we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. If we believe in him is, is the, the main thing. I want to define belief again before we dig into the main meat of the message. What is belief? Well, here's belief. Belief is entrusting yourself to someone or something. That's what belief is. Entrusting yourself to someone or something. That's what belief is. And I told you guys last week, belief is not just a set of facts that you agree with. I want you to hear that again. Belief is not just a set of facts you, 
you agree with. Belief is actively entrusting yourself to someone or something. And that's what is being called for us to do. That is the calling that we have. Our belief should not be just the fact that we say, yes, I believe that Jesus, you know, is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what I believe. That's good that you believe that. Here's the next question, and this is where a lot of people miss it. Are you fully, are you fully entrusting your life? Are you fully entrusting your life to that someone? That's the question. What does that look like? Are you trusting your, your, your life as part of your marriage? Are you trusting as part of your finances? Are you trusting as part with your kids? Are you trusting with your job? Are you trusting and on and on and on? That's what it looks like. It's an active belief is active. It's not passive. So what can we learn from the text we read today? Well, look at Romans 4.11. Here's the first thing. Inward change before outward sign. That's the first point I want to talk to you about. Inward change before outward sign. In 4.11, here's what it says again. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God already accepted him and declared him to be righteous. A sign. Now that sounds kind of familiar. A sign. Inward change before outward sign. You know what this is like? It's like baptism for us. Are you with me? It's just like baptism for us. Baptism, and let me say this, some people theologically would not agree with this, and I, you know, gently tell them that they're incorrect. Um, because, because baptism is a sign. It's a sign. It's a sign of an inward change. But here's what we do oftentimes. We get it backwards. We get it backwards oftentimes. We get it backwards. What we want to do is, is we want to change outwardly before we change inwardly. That's what we do. We want to change from the outside and maybe hopefully we will eventually change on the inside. Now here's the problem with that. And let me tell you why we do that. We do that, and this is true, outward change is more quickly done. It's more visibly seen when you start doing things. You ever had a situation where you're like, listen, I want to change this portion of my life. And so, for instance, let's say speeding. Okay, I know no one here speeds, but I'm sure there's someone somewhere in some church that does. Okay, so speeding. Okay, speeding. And by the way, the uh, inward change before outward sign is point number one in your outline, if you're looking at your outline. Point number one. So, you speed. You say, I want to change, I want to stop speeding. And so what you do is, is you start, you start trying to stop speeding. And you do well until you pull up to a light. And this obnoxious Mustang with a loud muffler on it comes beside you and goes, vroom, vroom, vroom. Now, you're like 52 in a minivan, all right? But it's got the V6, and so you're like, okay, I can throw this thing in the downshifter. You know what I mean? I can throw it in the downshifter, man, and I'm gone. I mean, I'm blowing the Mustang out the doors, right? Now, let me tell you what happens. Your attempt to change the behavior is thrown completely out the window, all right? Because you've got groceries in the back. You with me? Yes. You just got the new Cooper tires, Got them rotated, brakes are good, 
and you put your foot on the brake and on the gas, and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the guy next to you starts laughing. Right? And then you go, you take off. And you throw all that out the window. I know that never happens to anyone here. What, what about when you're on the interstate? You know when you're on the interstate, you don't want to speed, but you're on the interstate? And, you know, people are just obnoxious on the interstate. Are you with me? It's almost like the devil and his demons are driving cars around you. And they are tempting you to speed. Are you with me? Yeah, man. Why is that? Why is that? Well, let me tell you why. Because you haven't connected the change with something internally that makes it more important than the act that you're doing. You haven't done that. You haven't connected the change. That's why when you speed, you will eventually get a ticket. And so you get the ticket and inside your heart you say, I don't care anymore if the Mustang with the loud muffler beats me. My checking account just got knocked for about 250 and I'm not going to speed anymore. That's the motivation. That's the motivation. But a lot of us want to do the outward change and never do the inward. And here's the reason why, because inward change, y'all, is a lifelong process. There is no shortcut. I want you to get that as part of your life. I want you to take that in. All truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. And this is one that is God's truth. Inward change is a lifelong process. There are no shortcuts. I don't care what the infomercial tells you at two in the morning about selling real estate or losing weight or using a Floby to cut your hair. I don't know. I'm just telling you. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. There's a story in the scripture that I want to look at in Matthew chapter 19. It is a perfect example of someone trying to take a shortcut. It's a perfect example of someone trying to take a shortcut. It starts in verse 16, Matthew 19, verse 16. It says, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And all of a sudden the guy puffs up and says, I've obeyed all those commandments. What else must I do? And Jesus told him this, and I want you guys to circle this word. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And it says this, probably one of the saddest lines in the Bible. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. What is Jesus doing here? You can't take this just at face value. You've got to dive deeper into what he's doing here. The man approached him and says, I want to know what it is that I have to do to get eternal life. And Jesus knew, he knew the man's heart. And he says, oh, 
And Jesus starts telling him all the things that the man had already done. Oh, you've got to keep this rule and you've got to keep that rule and you've got to keep this rule and keep that rule. But see, none of those things went to the heart. Those were all external behaviors. Nothing went to the heart. Nothing hit the treasure. Are you with me? Nothing hit the treasure. Until he says, oh, oh, by the way, and I love this. If you want to be perfect, see, when he says the word perfect, that's going to perk the man's ears up. Because when you try and keep some rule or regulation with no internal change, you too try to do it perfectly. How many people have ever went on a diet and tried to do it perfectly? That lasts right up until the Dairy Queen, right? Right? And let me say something, just a little side note. If you guys work at Chick-fil-A and they call themselves believers and they want to do those peppermint shakes during Christmas, that's heresy right there. I'm, trying, I'm working on my, on my figure here, all right? And they're a Christian company and they're throwing out those milkshakes and they expect me to drive by. I'm stopping, man. And every once in a while, if you're, a, if you're an active member like I am of the Christian cult, of the, of the Chick-fil-A cult, um, I, uh, I'll, they'll send you one. They'll say, hey, here you go, just because you're you. Come get a peppermint milkshake. Those milkshakes start tomorrow, by the way. Thank you. They start <laughs> November 1st. Listen, anything to get away from pumpkin whatever. I'm sick of pumpkin spice, pumpkin, I don't care. I hate pumpkin everything, all right? So anyway, anyway, so here's the thing, though. They, the heart is the issue. So he's, he knows the guy. He's saying this guy is trying to be perfect by all of the things he's doing. And so he said, oh, listen, you want to be perfect? Let me hit to the heart of the matter. I'm going to try my best not to think about the milkshake. I'm trying not to. Like right now I'm thinking, I wonder if I should go by there tomorrow and get one. Anyway, so anyway, I'm going to get back. See, thank you so much for messing me up here. Um, are you thinking about it too, Beyond? How many people are thinking about the mint milkshake? Yeah, I know you are. I know, right? I know. Stephanie, you better raise your hand. I know you are, Stephanie. Anyway, so um, listen. He knew, he knew the heart. And he says, you want to be perfect? Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus expect him to be perfect? No. Did he think he would be perfect? No. Does he expect you to be perfect? No. But here's what he did. He wanted to say, you're trying to do all these external things. I'm trying to go inward with this. And to go inward, we need to hit at what is the thing that's holding you back. And for this man, and here's what's funny. People do this all the time. I have seen so many people do this. They, they will, I, I was driving from, from the school one day from Memphis back to Jackson. And there was this guy that was walking alongside of the road. And he had a sign and it was like something about Jesus. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to stop. I'm gonna, I said, what's going on? So I had a conversation with this guy. And he said, I've sold all my possessions. And I'm following Jesus. And I didn't have the heart to tell him. I didn't want to say, man, if you just talked to me, like I could have saved you a lot of heartache. Because that's not what that text means. At all. What that means is, is whatever is coming between you and God, he wants that too. He wants you to fully commit to that, to him, so that that will decrease and so that he can increase. What he's saying is this, and this is the second point. 
I want right relationship over rules. That's what he's saying. I want right relationship over rules. Verse 13 says this. It says, Clearly God promised promised to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law. But here it is. But on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. A right relationship. He is looking for right relationships over, over the rules. One of the things that frustrates me oftentimes, frustrates me oftentimes about followers of Jesus is this, is that they try to make God formulaic. They try to make God this formula. One of the areas that you guys see a lot of false teaching on is in the area of money. Okay, in the area of money, they try to make it formulaic. And here's what they say. They say, if you will send out, if you'll give to God, God will give back to you. If you and so what happens is you got these people that come and they, they, they write these checks because they're expecting something in return. That's what they're expecting. They're, they're, it's almost like you make your, 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 your relationship with God transactional. And can I tell you something? There is no transaction. One side did it all and you just joined the party. That's how it was. That's it. And they make it transactional. And so they say, well, I'm going to do this so that God will do this. But here's what I want you to see. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says this. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And and here's the part. And people quote this all the time. Oh, you need to plant a big crop. And usually it's some kind of television preacher. And the big crop you're planting is writing him a check for his big house. You must each decide in your heart how to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who who, who gives cheerfully. What they miss is the second part of the text. Can we bring chapter, verse 7 back up? That's what they miss. Here's what they miss. See, what, what, what you may think is, is well, I'm going to give. People always ask me, why don't you pass an offering plate? The reason is 2 Corinthians 9, 7. That's why. That's why I don't pass an offering plate. Because the truth is, is that 70% of you, if you give, 70% of you will give online. That's, way, that's the way you'll give. That's the way people give here. We have boxes in the back. Why is that? When I first told people I was going to do that, they told me, literally, I had pastors say, you're crazy, you're going to go broke, it'll never work. But I just believe that if you teach people that God loves a cheerful giver, and I don't want you to give reluctantly or in response to some pressure, the last thing we want to do is try to pressure you into giving anything. Because that decision is between you and God. It says you must decide in your heart how much to give. But I want you to understand something. This is not transactional. This is not. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. He doesn't. And let me say this. And if you're in the staff, on staff here, don't worry. God's got us. We don't need your money either if you're going to give it out of guilt. We don't. Because I believe that God will take care of us just fine. Just fine. I'm not worried about it. So I don't worry about it. Not at all. Because I know, I know, I know that God's guys, He has us. 100%. He has us. 
it's not transactional. Relationship is about the rightness, not the rules. Not the rules. It says, so Abraham believed and things happened. Romans 4, 17 says this. It says, that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God. And then this is the part I told you to, to really look at. Who brings back, who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. He's referencing two things here when he says this. He's first referencing where Abraham took his son Isaac up on the mountain and God delivered him. And he was going to, he was going to literally sacrifice his son by faith. And he didn't have to do it. God provided another sacrifice. But he's also talking about, about his and his wife's ability to have a child when they're up in age. And he says, I know, I believe in the God who brings dead things back to life. And can I tell you something? There's never been a more true statement about God than that. He brings dead things back to life. He's done that for me and he's done that for you. We all have a story of failure. We all have a story of failure. We all have a story of losing hope. I love it later on in the text when he says, And Abraham continued to have hope even when it looked like he shouldn't have hope. I love that. And his faith didn't grow weaker. It grew stronger. But God brings dead things back to life. We've all been lost. We've all been tied to this sin or that sin. We've all been dead to sin. We've all been in those situations where it looked hopeless. But here's what I want you to understand. God brings dead things back to life. That's why we just sang the song, This is the Sound of the dry bones rattling, coming back to life, coming back to life. The first line is Saturday's disappointment. Listen, we've all been there on Saturdays, haven't we? We've all seen that Saturday disappointment. Someone let us down. Something happened here. Something happened there. But I'm here to tell you, God brings dead things back to life. And God was Abraham's hope. And God is your hope too. Romans 4.21 defines faith like I think, I think it's perfect. And it says this. Abraham was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Here's what faith is. Being fully convinced that God will do what he has promised. That's faith. Let's get back to the speeding. If you want to stop speeding, I would encourage you to do this. I would encourage you to get on your knees and say, God, I know you have a lot of other stuff to deal with, but I really need to stop speeding. And so, God, I'm asking you right now to change my heart and to show me, to show me what I need to do to stop speeding. And I know, God, this will be a process. But, God, I want you to take me where I am now to where I need to be. And, God, I'll trust you along the way. And then here's what you're going to start seeing. You're going to start seeing God show up in this way and that way. And here's the part that you guys don't get that I don't often get, and it's this. God wants to teach us through the struggle of change. He does. 
He wants to teach us through the struggle of change. That is the classroom between you deciding to commit and you getting to where God wants you to be. The classroom is in the middle. So what is faith? What is this faith that we keep talking about? This faith in Christ that where it wasn't that he got circumcised. And for us, it wasn't that we got baptized, but it was that we had faith. We fully believed we had faith. It's that we are fully convinced that God will do what he has promised. He wasn't half convinced. He wasn't kind of convinced. He wasn't three-fourths convinced. He was fully convinced. And no one was going to change Abraham's mind. Because he's fully convinced. That's the place that I want to get to in my life. And that's the place I would like for you to get to as well. Because when you get to that place, things that happen in the world don't seem to matter much anymore. When you get to that place, you pull up next to someone with the Mustang with the loud thing and you're looking at them going, should have got a minivan, man. Gets better gas mileage and not quite as loud. And that third row is on point. Should have got a minivan. You can look at people differently. You no longer have and you no longer judge people by what they are look like externally, but you judge them by the by the character of their heart. You can do those things, but you're not going to do it overnight. It's a process. And I think all God wants us to do is come along for the ride. He says he'll do the heavy lifting. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He'll do the heavy lifting. He just wants you to join him and he wants me to join him. Let's join him. Lord God, we love you and thank you and praise you for who you are. Lord, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for the fact that you bring dead things back to life. And so God, as we sing now, I pray that you will come and even now, God, don't let people leave here the same way they came in, but leave them be changed from the inside out. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then... God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.